0: Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center. And I'm here with Steve Wiens, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we have spent a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode three. Uh, hi, Ruth.
0: Good to be with you, Steve.
1: As always. So, uh, in this episode, we're going to talk more about leaders who are discerning and we've talked about the blindness that leaders have to name. We've talked about cultivating teams who are discerning, which really means cultivating teams who are, uh, committed to transformation and their own transformation. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive Mm -hmm. into the kind of leader who is discerning and how to become that. So, uh. So what's a common mistake that you see many church boards, ministry organizations make when it comes to trying to make decisions together?
0: Well, this is in the category of magical thinking, (laughs) Um, but sometimes people will gather a bunch of undiscerning people around a leadership table and expect them to all of a sudden become discerning. And that is magical thinking at its best. You can wish it were so, but it's not going to work so i think that's the most common mistake that people want to jump to being able to discern and do the will of god but without the preparation then all you've done is gather a bunch of undiscerning people and expect them to do something they're not prepared to do
1: right so Mm -hmm. it's it's thinking that we can make uh, a decision based on spiritual discernment without being people who are discerning that's
0: right and and also that we can even microwave the process of becoming this kind of group yeah. you know it's this is not a microwavable process it's yeah. something that has to be worked on and cultivated for quite a while
1: and it might mean we need to say no to mm-hmm. some other things yes. if we're going to say yes to or this or slow
0: some things down until you really are prepared to discern and can actually do the work of discernment
1: which i think as an aside before i get to my next mm-hmm. question ruth there is a a kind of confession that the western church mm-hmm. needs to make in 2018 and that is we we tend to think that we're called to do everything mm-hmm. and you mentioned that in an earlier episode that we're not called to do everything right. each church is called to do some things mm-hmm. but not yeah. everything Right. and so i think sometimes uh, when a team moves toward mm-hmm. discerning in community there is some some confession that needs to be made around we have thought that it is ours to mm-hmm. do every single mm-hmm. dang thing yeah, yeah, and we need to say it's not
0: right and we've moved past our we've moved beyond human limitation we've yeah. driven people into the ground yeah. we haven't been c- calling people into a way of life that's actually doable for them lord have mercy yeah
1: you know? so i think that's a good pause mm-hmm. if we're going to be discerning communities we cannot be super super busy communities mm-hmm. right those two don't don't yeah. go together right They don't go together. Okay. So um, what, and you mentioned this in the last episode, but I want to take a deeper dive. What are the five foundations of discernment? And this really goes back to just what do we believe as Christians, but Mm -hmm. what are the five foundations?
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure there are others, but I've identified five just to try to keep it a little bit manageable that I think are really important for people to grasp as Do you have a, they... you have
1: a cool acronym for them, Ruth? I don't
0: have a cool acronym, and I'm sorry <laughs> about God. that. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. We need that. to confess our acronyms, yes, too. Yes, we do, we do.
1: Um, Lord have mercy. So
0: these are biblical and theological foundations, which can be really important work for a group to do, and I believe that cultivating a shared working knowledge of the basics... Um, of our beliefs about discernment and making sure that people have embraced these in their own lives is really important. So um, the first one is that spiritual discernment by definition is a process that takes place in and through the Holy Spirit. So we mentioned last time, um, well the last two times we've talked about the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity and that discernment is going to require that we believe that there is actually a third person of the Trinity and that we move beyond functional atheism and we are willing to engage, that person and to believe that that person can be listened to that that person has something to say to us that we can actually respond to that person in in relationship Um, the scriptures are so clear first corinthians 2 in particular talks about the holy spirit as the only one who comprehends what is truly god's you know so without the holy spirit we simply cannot do discernment so in some cases depending on people's faith traditions we might need to stop for a bit and discuss what do we really believe about the Holy Spirit in yeah. our tradition? And yeah. is it fully orbed enough? Do Have we really grappled enough with the Holy Spirit? Now, of course, there are gonna be some traditions where everything's about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So Pentecostals and Assemblies of God and things like that have a much greater role for the Holy Spirit in their own theology and practice, but for those of us who are Protestants, we tend to be sort of heady and intellectual in our approach, and so we haven't really grappled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes us a little bit nervous, and it feels kind of mystical, and so um, to grapple with what we really believe about the Holy Spirit can, can be important. You know, Paul Anderson does talk about the leadership of Christ as, it's, as the head of the church. And if we really believe that, how are we opening to the leadership of Christ as the head of the church? And we know biblically that that, that happens in and through the spirit of Jesus Christ, um, alive and present with us now. So we, we might need to talk about the, the Holy Spirit just a little bit. Um, so the second building block for discernment in terms of what we believe about it is to realize that the impulse to discern, in other words, the desire to discern and do the will of God as our mode of operating in leadership is in itself a good spirit that needs to be cultivated. Mm. So um, in 1 John, we're told to to discern the spirits, to see which ones are from God. That's part of what discernment is, the ability to discern the spirits. And the desire that any individuals or that a group shares to discern the will of God as the way in which they're leading, that is a really good spirit that needs to be leaned into, fanned into flame. Yeah we've got this desire among us that's a really good desire let's let's capitalize on that let's really lean into it and give the group uh, what it's longing for and what it's desiring in that in that regard david benner in his book points out that his book desiring god's will i think is what it's called He talks about the fact that when a group wants to follow the will of God rather than following their own will, you know, because we're so wired for egocentricity and control, that it's actually a pretty amazing thing Mm -hmm. when a group of leaders gets together and affirms that they want to discern and do the will of God because they're already moving against their false selves. Mm -hmm. They're already moving against ego by wanting to give themselves to something other than their own ego and their own drivenness. So it's a beautiful spirit when that begins to emerge in your leadership group. So it means that we're gonna have to learn how to stop willfully asserting our own wills in order to open ourselves to the will of God as it's unfolding already, because let's be clear about that. The will of God is already unfolding. Right. We have the opportunity to lean into it and participate in it or to move against it because of our own ego and willfulness. So I find that exciting. We're finding ways to participate. The will of God is already unfolding.
1: And haven't you found that when, when you do that, the sense is freedom? Mm-hmm. like? That's what I found. Like when you actually let go Mm -hmm. of your willful desire that was so important to you – it's it's not that much of a loss. Right. It actually feels like freedom.
0: Yes, exactly. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So yes. when we're sensing that freedom, we know we're right there with spirit, yeah. You know, yeah. which is very exciting. The third building block is a deep belief in the goodness of God. And yes. this might feel like going back to third grade Sunday school. You know, well, of course, I believe in the goodness of God. Don't you, Steve Weems? you know loves me. Yes, I know. That's right. And yes, it is. And hopefully, we've been taught about the goodness of God since we were very, very little. But what I find in work working with pastors and Christian leaders is that many underneath, you you don't have to scratch very far for them to start talking about the fact that they really don't believe the goodness of God to them personally. Absolutely. They've experienced hard things in their lives, maybe they've had family of origin experiences with the Father in particular that has caused them to really question whether or not God is good. Maybe they have had, you know, things happen in their lives that were negative when they thought that they were pursuing the will of God. So that has not been repaired or healed. And so you don't have to scratch very far to find Christian leaders who really don't believe in the goodness of God. And so we might need to rest here for a while because it's very hard for us to give ourselves over to the will of someone that we doubt On that level, you cannot open up and be receptive to someone that you think might not be good to you in the end. That's true in human relationships, and it's true in our relationship with God. So leaders who are cultivating discernment as a lifestyle— need to be cultivating their sense that God is good to them. You know, I remember, you know, when I was young and, you know, in college, that sometimes we would say that we were afraid to give ourselves to the will of God because we would end up a single missionary in Africa. Yes, yes. You know, and of course, I've now been with people whose dream is to be a single missionary in Africa, so let's watch out for that. But my point is that we can all probably identify whatever we think is a worst-case scenario for our lives and say, man, if I really open up myself to God... God's going to ask me to give up something I really want, or Mm -hmm. God's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. And really, underneath it, we don't believe in the goodness of God. So this will need to be challenged if we are going to become discerning people, because believing in the goodness of God then means that I can have interior freedom Mm -hmm. in my discernment. I can't be free if I'm doubting God's goodness to me. Yeah, because we're afraid. We're afraid to give ourselves to it. And so it's interesting that Dallas Willard talks about the fact that the first thing we do with apprentices or disciples... Is to help them to understand the goodness of God's intentions towards us, mm. and His uh, capacity to carry it out.
1: I feel like that's—I yeah. know it's third grade, but it's also radical. Yeah, like people that are fully given over mm. to the idea that God is good are free oh, yeah. and free indeed. dangerous people. Right, you know.
0: And the truth is that we're so wounded, most yeah. of us here on the earth, wounded by what's happened in our human relationships, wounded by what's happened to us in churches, yeah. that many of us have never grappled with the impact of that, yeah. of those experiences, on our experience, on our, on our experience and relationship with God right now. Yeah, true. So um, when you're helping people to enter into a discernment lifestyle, this might be something that we have to wrestle with and grapple with and somehow embrace together. Fourth building block for discernment is the conviction that love is our ultimate calling. Mm. Now, that's challenging, too, to hard-driving leaders, because mm-hmm. love feels kind of soft, right? <laughs> yeah. Really? You're going to ask yeah. me to think about love here? And it's interesting to think about our discernment as leaders and how rarely the question of love gets brought up. Yeah, Like we're trying to think about a building project, you know, or we're what trying to... What would love to, have us do? That's right. We're, we're trying to think about how to respond to the different human experiences that are... Um, that we're facing into more fully right now in our lives. And again, we're asking the wrong questions. We're talking about theology, and nobody's saying, you know, what would be the most loving thing to do? What would what would bring the presence of Christ into this topic? The loving presence of Jesus Christ, who's always working to bring love and redemption into our world. So it's a very challenging question. I think there are many, many reasons why we don't ask the love question in our discernment process Well, it's processes. inefficient, for sure. Because yes. it
1: probably will make you stop and go back and Mm -hmm. restore a relationship that you Mm -hmm. didn't even realize was broken yeah
0: or get inside that other person's experience rather than just putting your own meanings on it yeah you know um i think love makes us vulnerable
1: more vulnerable
0: than just doing the strategic thing
1: and can i say as uh it's been my experience sadly in church staffs that when a hard thing needs to happen Mm -hmm we tend to isolate just the people with power, talk about it and Mm -hmm. talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And we don't really ask what the loving thing to Mm -hmm. do here is because we're afraid that if we ask that question, we'll lose our nerve to Mm -hmm. do the hard thing. And we don't need to think that dualistically. Mm -hmm. That's a false bifurcation.
0: Right, right. Well, and I think too, to invite those persons into the room and listen to their stories and allow yourself to be truly impacted by the eyes and the face of a real person as opposed to a concept, Yes, you know, that's challenging. We need to, we'll be open then to being influenced by someone and it will be harder to, you know, to maybe hang on so tenaciously to what we have convinced ourselves is true and right.
1: Ruth, I think this is huge right here. I mean, this is just huge.
0: Yeah. It's hard to be human, it is it's hard to sit with each other in our humanity it's a whole lot easier to just be strategic or theologically minded you know so we don't throw all that out but it all has to be there everything belongs right
1: yeah Uh, i heard jean vanier say one time if god is love then god must be the most vulnerable being Mm -hmm. in the universe
0: yeah right yeah yeah wow and then the final building block is that we are committed to doing the will of God as it's revealed to us and we've committed ourselves to that before we know what the will of God is. Snap. Yeah. So I mean what I've seen is that oftentimes we we want to make discernment sort of a parlor game. So well if this works out well, then we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. But I can always leave myself an out. So if this discernment thing doesn't work out, or if God leads me to something I don't want to do, then I'll just pretend we never did that. Yeah. You know, so In order for us to be discerning people, there has to be this deep commitment to the will of God before it has been revealed so that we don't make discernment into a parlor game um, where we can just dismiss God's will if we decide we don't like it. That's just not even respectful. And I don't know that God is going to waste God's time showing up to give us a discernment if if we're giving ourselves an out.
1: I'm in the church plant world, Mm -hmm. and our church plant coach, when he hears people say, well, you know, if this church plan doesn't work out, I have, you know, an education in law. So mm-hmm. I, and then he just stops yes. him and says, Hey, you know what? If you have a plan B, yeah. I'm going to ask you to just stop the project yeah, right very now. Very
0: good. There is yeah. no
1: plan B with this. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he gets in our faces. Yeah. And, but it's good. Like yeah. we need that. You know, we do. Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So five foundations. And I think those are so helpful. Just as returning points to in any leadership setting that is trying to be both spiritual and deeply Mm -hmm. Christian actually, that we need to return to those things, the goodness of God, the activity of the spirit. Uh, So, so good. Um, So I've I've heard you talk a lot about the need for leaders to cultivate the ability to pay attention Mm -hmm. to the internal movements of what St. Ignatius calls consolation and desolation and to learn to trust those over time can you say more about how that needs to be a cultivated Mm -hmm. habit in the life of a discerning leader
0: yeah and this is another one of those places where what someone is practicing personally then um, they can bring that over into the leadership setting and it makes them more effective so you know the dynamics of consolation and desolation which we talked about in great in great detail when we were in the sacred rhythms podcast um Those are inner dynamics of the heart that one learns how to pay attention to and to discern. And I think I made the point, and I'll make it again here, that consolation and desolation are not primarily emotions. There's the surface chop of emotion, but consolation and desolation are deeper, more visceral dynamics. They're sort of in your body that you can pay attention to. So. When Moses says to the people of Israel, see now I've set before you life and death, choose life so that you and your descendants might live, he actually talks about visceral in the body experiences. He says the will of God is not something that's up in heaven that you have to go up there to get it. It's not across the ocean that you have to send someone across the ocean. No, it is in your mouth and it's in your heart for you to discern, You know, for you to know viscerally in your body. So sometimes when people are afraid that what I'm talking about is sort of an emotional, very subjective thing, I'm saying... Saying no, it's these are not primarily surface emotions. They are visceral in the body experiences, and God created our bodies to know these things. So when we're paying attention to them, we're paying attention to our bodies in one of the ways that God intends for us to pay attention to our bodies. Um, so when a leader has become comfortable with paying attention to those in their own personal discernment, then they've learned to trust them, and they can bring those to the leadership environment and... If other leaders have been practicing that as well, then the other leaders will receive that as being as significant as it is. So that that that's how this works together, moving from personal to corporate leadership discernment.
1: Yes, and I also think if you're the point leader and you're feeling some consolation or desolation about something, if you have a model that says it's up to you alone to mm-hmm. discern that, then, oh my gosh, you better be right. right. You know. But mm-hmm. if you can bring that to a table of people who are also discerning, yes. then you can say, hey, no no pressure here, mm-hmm. but I'm just curious. I keep feeling desolation right. about moving from two to mm-hmm. seven services. Yes. Um, <laughs> is, is, is anyone else feeling desolation yes. about <laughs> yes. that? I don't get to decide alone. <laughs>
0: right. Um, <Yeah. laughs>
1: I don't know why that's. That. Um, I love that. In fact, about... I think
0: I might have to jump off a cliff if we <laughs> decide that we're going to seven services. If that means anything to anyone.
1: <laughs> um, Eugene Peterson tells a story in in the pastor where his daughter comes to him. This is kind of a famous mm-hmm. story, but and says, "Daddy, you've been gone thirty nights in a row, mm-hmm. or something like that." You know. Yeah. And then he just goes to his board and says, "I quit. Mm-hmm. I, I actually am, I'm quitting the pastor because it's ruining mm-hmm. my family." And then they they go, "Okay, but." Can we just ask you a couple of questions before you Mm -hmm. announce your resignation? Mm -hmm. And it's basically, what do you love about the job and what Mm -hmm. do you not like about the job? And he loved teaching and getting together with people. And he didn't like running the the affairs of the church. Mm -hmm. And so they said... Well, how about if you let us run the affairs of the church and mm-hmm. you can you can keep keep your job and keep mm-hmm. preaching and being with people? And it was this movement of, you know, yeah. because he felt this desolation. Right. If, if my daughter right. is telling me that I haven't been home for mm-hmm. 30 nights, then mm-hmm. th- this is not good. Right. This is not a good thing. But then what I loved about his board is they didn't engage him in some, well, pull out your job description. Mm-hmm. What does it say? Yeah. They noticed deep desolation. And right. who knows? Maybe they were noticing it too. Maybe they yeah. were at... 30 of those meetings yeah, too, right. and maybe it was ruining there mm-hmm. so I um, my point is when you agree to group discernment mm-hmm. community discernment it is a great thing for the point leader because now we don't have yeah. to be absolutely mm-hmm. right with everything we are right. thinking in our spirit in our gut we can bring those consolations and desolations to the table for discernment
0: right right um i remember a time in our own unfolding here in the transforming center when we were at a retreat center our offices were at a convent close by where we where we are now and it was becoming really apparent that that they were going to have to sell that property Mm. and so for a brief moment i bought to our board whether or not we should consider purchasing this retreat center and it was you know quite run down and in need of much repair and things like that. And I remember bringing it, feeling like we should consider this opportunity together. And one of our board members who happened to be our treasurer at the time, he he started to talk about it and he kept gripping his chest. He kept (laughs) literally like clutching his chest and talking about how it felt to him physically when he thought about purchasing this retreat center, which would have become a money pit, it already was, because there was no way to bring it up to code or anything like that. And so we didn't even have a strategic conversation about it. There was no need, because... His, his desolation, and and as he opened that up for us, other people's desolation met with that. Like it would just destroy us if we did. We just cannot do that. We have to trust God for another option, which is what we did. But it was interesting to me that we didn't need to take a day yeah. to have a strategic conversation with financial financial reports and feasibility studies and all that. We just knew from the consolation and desolation, or the desolation, that people were feeling that we didn't even, shouldn't even take one more step in the conversation. So in, in addition to the fact that we got to a good discernment, it also actually was much quicker than if we had had to go through the Mm -hmm. full-blown decision-making process with a lot of other information. We didn't need it because the reality
1: was so true and real. But it was probably also because that person that clutched his chest... Mm -hmm you've learned to trust His discernment. Well, absolutely.
0: That's the kind of group we are. We've always, for 15 years, we've practiced corporate leadership discernment as our method. So uh, we've so learned to trust it when people on our board feel that way that, I mean, you just have to say the word and we're all like on the edge of our seats, saying, say more, let us know more. We want to hear that. We want to pay attention to it because we value it so deeply. And we believe that that is one of the major ways that God speaks.
1: Uh, So I want to ask a question, Ruth, that... um, I've been on enough church leadership teams to know that one of the dirty little secrets is that we don't practice discernment because we believe it's magical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, or we believe that God isn't really good mm-hmm. after all. And so yeah. if we really discern, God's going to lead us in a direction that is that is going to kill all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's a little dramatic, but, you know, that, that, that will lead us to move to Africa as a single person, even though we're already married. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say to that and i want to connect deuteronomy 30 that you mm-hmm. just mentioned that it's not across the sea mm-hmm. that it's not it's not a magic trick that we're going to conjure mm-hmm. the spirit is i don't want to answer the question what mm-hmm. what would you say to that
0: what's the that oh sorry <laughs> I'm sorry i'm coming. so what would you
1: say to a leadership team that that wants to move toward discernment but in their conversation someone is honest mm-hmm. and says Gosh, I want to believe this is true, but if I'm honest, it sounds like we're conjuring a magic trick. Mm-hmm. Um, like, d- does God really lead this way, mm-hmm. or isn't it just God wants freedom and He's given us choice? God has given us choice, and it's up to us mm-hmm. to just make a good decision and move on. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just asking for some wisdom to and I'm not talking about skepticism. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about honest
0: Yeah. Really? Does, yeah. Is
1: this really the way God works?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it does bring us back to the biblical and theological foundations cuz you know, we're talking yes, about yes, we're yes. talking about what our own scriptures actually say about the possibility of being led by God in this way. I mean, when Jesus went back to heaven, he said to his disciples, "I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to be close to you and to reveal truth to you as you're able to bear it. So the real presence of the Holy Spirit, you you either can embrace that and create space for that in your process, or you don't. You're rejecting your faith at that point. You really are rejecting a very important aspect of our Christian faith. And the the Holy Spirit's a gift given to us by God. And so to not believe that it's possible to interact with the Spirit and to lean into that and to open to it is, is actually a rejection of certain aspects of our faith. Yes. So it's a hard way to put it, but but I, I believe it's true. Now, the other thing I think is that sometimes people who respond in that way also have lived in their heads for so long that that the idea of even knowing what's going on in your body, yeah, it, it, they're they're so out of touch with they've they've lived as talking heads and thinking heads for so long. Part of the challenge for them is, oh wow, I I don't know how to pay attention at that level. I'm not going to be very good at this. Yeah. Um. So there's a fear of failure if we move our decision-making into discernment because they're afraid they will... I know how to come in here and bring my leadership stuff that I learned at the Fortune 500 company where I used to work or where I do work. Um, I know how to think really hard about stuff. I know how to do strategic thinking and planning. This, I'm not as comfortable with. I don't know how to do it. So I wonder if underneath it, some of the resistance also is they're being pushed outside a comfort zone. And I think one of the things that's interesting in this conversation is to notice that oftentimes the way we choose our leadership teams is actually in some ways contrary to what we're asking them to do. Yes. So we're asking them to discern and yet all of their leadership has been done in a corporate, you know, in a corporate environment where it's been about what you can intellectualize and focus on the bottom line and all that. Or it is the, you know, pragmatists who have never touched the Holy Spirit in their whole spiritual journey, you know, Or they've achieved success in you know building a construction company and so we invite them to be on the board because maybe they'll help us build our building. Yeah. yeah, You know? Or we might choose an investment banker because they're gonna help us, they're gonna give big donations and help us manage our funds. So we often choose people to be on the board based on whatever it is that distinguishes them humanly. Yeah. And we often don't look at whether or not they are prepared at this level for discernment. And I think that's a problem. Yes. And in fact, I would like to suggest that when we actually develop whatever job description we might have or role description that we might have for joining the board, that we actually have the language of discernment in it and say, this is what discernment involves. This is what it will involve for you personally. This is what it will involve for you in the group. Yep. You need to know that this is what we gather to do. So if you're up for that, Great. Um, if, if you're willing to grow in that, great. If this is a problem for you, it probably would be best for you to serve in another way. Yeah. So you have to, the group has to establish its norm eventually. Yep. So that anyone who gets invited into the group knows exactly what they're getting into.
1: Right. Um, so I want to I share a quick story about uh, a, a discernment process our team went through. And really, this was new to especially one of the team members. The the whole process of discernment. So we were looking for a new space to worship in, and the three people who were being the most talkative about it once we went Mm -hmm. through it, two fours and a three. So Mm -hmm. on the enneagram, so all heart center people, Mm -hmm. and and the feedback was it didn't feel right. It didn't. There's just a feeling in the space that was. Mm -hmm. So we're really paying attention to that. But then the person that was newer said. I get that, and I even felt a little bit of that too, but would you mind if we we just work through on a whiteboard kind of some some based on what we have been looking mm-hmm. for, what does that space fit yes. and what mm-hmm. doesn't it fit? Mm-hmm. So we did that. we spent yeah. the next twenty minutes mm-hmm. just and then all of us had consolation mm-hmm. like, oh, actually, that fits th- it, it fits yeah, and now we ended up not getting the space because of a decision someone else made. Mm-hmm. But the process was, yeah. so it, it isn't always moving us to this mystical, mysterious. Exactly. Sometimes the discernment that's the, the information, the data that's needed mm-hmm. in the discernment process is something that someone that uh, is, is a very strategic, pros and mm-hmm. cons kind of list. Yeah. That's actually what helped us move past. It's probably what was some of our ego stuff with mm-hmm. you know who knows so
0: well it also contributed to the group experiencing a shared sense of consolation yes so you still you still were really in consolation and desolation you were paying attention mm-hmm. to that but the the those facts mm-hmm. helped you know the group to move towards a, a shared sense of consolation yeah which is beautiful and and it shows you that. In in discernment, we pay attention to everything. everything, facts and figures and research and experiences and, you know, this more subjective consolations and desolations and all of it um, belongs in our discernment process.
1: Yes. And I share that because I think some people feel like discernment really at the end of the day is woo woo mm-hmm. and facts and figures, yeah. you know, are helpful, mm-hmm. but not really that important. Yeah. Actually, it all is. So yes. thank you for saying that. Um Well, thank you for this episode, Ruth. I'm wondering if you have a prayer to close us with. Oh, always. Yes. yes.
0: So this is a prayer that just helps us as leaders to open ourselves to the discernment that God wants to give. And this prayer in particular, one of the reasons I love it is because it focuses on the goodness of God and Mm -hmm. helps us to settle into the goodness of God, which is so important Mm. in discernment. It also affirms the real presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Lord, I believe my life is touched by you, that you want something for me and of me. Give me ears to hear you, eyes to see the tracing of your finger, and a heart quickened by the motions of your spirit. Amen.
1: Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, so we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. In July, the Transforming Center will launch their 15th Transforming Community. If God has stirred up something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin a transforming leadership journey of your own. I joined Transforming Community number six way back in 2011 and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. The transforming community experience is designed to better integrate your faith and your leadership. The two-year experience of spiritual formation is designed for pastors, leaders, and influencers. It is grounded in scripture, animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation in community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please leave a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and visit transformingcenter.org to learn more about how to apply for the next transforming community.